Father, we thank you. And Lord, we especially thank you today. This is June 8th. And on the Christian calendar, June 8th, today is Pentecost since Easter today. Awesome day for us to make note. We know that our friends in Israel this week have been celebrating uh, Pentecost, Shavuot. And uh, Lord, here we are today. We recognize your word. We are believers. We're Christians. We're delighted. And Father, more than ever, may we be so in tune with your word. And God, we pray that you would move in our midst by the power of your Holy Spirit. We invite you, Lord, today to come and visit us in our mind, in our thinking, our process, our hearts, our very wills, as we'll be talking about that today. Lord, change our will to be in tune, in step, lockstep with your perfect will. So, Father, we ask now in Jesus' name, bless as your word goes out. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, grab your Bibles this morning and turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 5 to 15, today in our study. Verses 5 to 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're looking at a message today entitled, Worship God with What You Are. Worship God with What You Are. Now, as you turn there, I hope you remember this. By way of introduction, we are now coming to the closing chapters of 2 Corinthians. I told you in the beginning of this epistle that all scholars throughout history agree that this is Paul the Apostle's most transparent, most emotional, tender epistle ever written. He shares things from his heart that Some have even shared or said he should have kept private. Now, who are we to judge God, who is the author of the Bible? And this is one of those portions of Scripture where Paul shares things and we miss it. And I don't think we'll get it very well, even in our English, and we'll do the best we can with our English uh, language. But Paul shared things in these verses and he used words that display an extremely a tender, emotional heart, powerfully. And you may not like that as we get into this. And I want all of you to hear me. I'm pausing for effect. You may not like the great apostle being so personal because you're going to want to put him up on a pedestal. We like sometimes spiritual leaders to be enshrined in some place that is somewhat removed from us because we like to almost make them godlike. And we live down here among the the common people, but they live up there and, and ooh and ah. Paul was not like that. If Paul the Apostle walked in this building today, you'd be shocked at how approachable he was, at how personable he was. But listen, never compromising how committed he was to the doctrine of the Bible, to the word of God. And he was an amazing man of God. And I want you to get this as we uh, read through it. So look with me in verse 5. He says to them in Corinth, For I consider that I am not at all inferior. I'm not somehow remedial. I'm not somehow a backwater apostle to the most eminent, to the most super apostles. For even though I am untrained in speech... Yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages or support that came to him from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself as the truth of Christ is in me. Listen to his passion. No one shall, that is, no one can, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. That is the whole, what we would say today, the nation of Greece. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. Verse 12. But what I do, 
I will also continue to do. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles. Listen to them. Deceitful workers. Transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself, and this statement means they are in league with the devil. They're just like the father they follow in their religious practices, the devil himself, who transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no uh, great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. I could actually read that and go home right now. Is that not heavy? This is big stuff. This is serious business. When you and I listen, when you and I worship God, and that's why I, how I want to wrap this up uh, throughout the entire delivery of it. And your notes, I want you to write this down. When we worship God, when we worship God, number one, we are Christians. What we are, our children, we are children of God now. We've been saved. If you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the proof of your trust in him has led you to follow him. Listen, everybody, that following Jesus is your worship. Your worship that you sang a moment ago to the Lord, that was what the Bible calls a holy convocation. Convocation. It means that we've corporately come together, and the church has been doing this since the day of Pentecost to today, 2,000 years. We come together as God has decreed, and we have a corporate, that is a full gathering of the church, and we worship God together. We're, we're to keep doing that. But every day in all that we do, we are to be worshipers of the Lord. And what we are, we are worshipers. Paul the Apostle is a worshiper of God. And that's his focus. He's not a worshiper of people. He's a worshiper of God. And that dictates the personality, the vibe, the feel of his ministry to please God is what he lived for. And it's my prayer that you as a Christian in following Jesus in worship, that you live to please God. Friends, listen, do not live your life as a Christian to please men, to, to gain man's approval, especially in religious things. That is idolatry and it's an offense to God. It makes God sick. Don't be like that. And besides, you'll never please any man. People's requirements and desires change constantly. Never God. It's awesome. So listen, before we get into this study today, I want you to write this down if you would. It's Psalm 84, verse 1. Psalm 84, verse 1 and 2 says, How lovely is your tabernacle or dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Listen to this. I pray this is us. And I prayed this, by the way, for you. Don't tell anybody. But in my private prayer time this morning, I prayed this prayer for you and I. That our soul, look, that our soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. That our heart and our flesh would cry out for the living God. Do you hear David's passion? That, that's the passion that's got to be in us. Let's be honest. Can I be blunt? If this is lacking in our lives, listen, if this is lacking in your life right now, don't start having a breakdown and cry and run out of the building in total despair. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change you. Listen, I'm asking God to change me. You go, Pastor, I thought you loved the Lord. Listen, I don't love the Lord as much as I should love the Lord. When I tell him I love him, I feel like I'm lying. Oh, Lord, I love you. And then I have to confess, I need to love you more. For all of your benefits, for all of your goodness, and for who you are? Lord, my love for you must be so mediocre, must be so pathetic. Oh, God, cause me to love you more. Can someone say amen? amen? You looked at me like I startled you a second ago. Look, I'm talking about us. We don't love him enough. We love him, but we need to love him more. And our heart should pound out of our chest with the desire to enter into his courts and to dwell in his presence, to have our hearts longing, even our flesh crying out to meet up with God. Number one, jot this down. Worship God with what you are means this, that the Christian is willing. Write that down. We are willing. 
verses 5 and 6. The first thing we see is that there should be a willingness in all of us to trust God. Paul says, for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Why did he say this? Now, look, you guys, mark this. This is amazing. Paul told them earlier, I will not boast in the things of my achievements. Now he's boasting. Why? They have forced him to do what he didn't want to do. Who has? The Corinthian church, you know, have been polluted by these self-proclaimed apostles. We'll end this message talking more about them. They had so attacked Paul that Paul now senses that he needs to speak up for the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. If you're going to boast, my friend, boast like that, that you have seen God work in your life, all the glory goes to God. Okay, by the way, can I say this, that people should be saying to you, oh, that was wonderful. Oh, that was, oh, yeah, that was great. What you, they should be saying that to every one of us who named the name of Christ. But what we're to do is to deflect that praise quickly over to Jesus and say, hey, you know what? Uh, praise the Lord. He uses knuckleheads and to God be the glory. Right. So listen, vitally important. There should be a willingness in our lives to trust the Lord, to trust God. And that's what Paul is saying. And it's a beautiful declaration of defense, but glory to God. He says, for I consider, this word consider is an amazing word. Uh, Paul says, for I've done the math. Watch this, everybody. This convicts me. Paul, that word consider. I have looked at my life since I got saved to this moment. I've done the math. You can see the little apostle doing the math. And you know what? Yeah, I got saved on this day, riding on that donkey, heading up to Damascus to kill Christians and arrest them. Got saved that day when I got knocked off that donkey. Jesus spoke to me from that time on. What happened? Okay, I had a burden in my heart to preach the gospel. I saw people get saved. I, this miracle, I was involved in this thing. I saw this happen. I got beat up for Jesus. Right? Paul the apostle's life. He, he makes a calculation and considers and comes to this conclusion. I am... A child of God. He could say, he could roll up his sleeves and say, I have scars to prove it. Now, you and I may not have scars to prove that we're Christians, but in some ways we could maybe show spiritual scars that we're Christians. Or that we've been attacked or maligned or made fun of or mocked or whatever it may be. Paul is saying, I've done this. I've come to this conclusion. And this is what I know. And he speaks to these people and he says to them, to the Corinthians, I am not inferior. I am not sort of, I'm not, I'm no cut rate uh, discount apostle. Now, listen, has anyone attacked you for not being a Christian or being a pathetic Christian? Has anyone ever said to you, well, look at you. Look, some people can say that because you did mess up and some people could say that because you didn't mess up. Some people could attack you because you did mess up and some people attack you if you didn't mess up. All the more reason why you need to know yourself before the Lord. And this is one of the great things that we want to take away from this message is our hearts as Christians are to always be willing. Always be willing. And so listen, don't answer me. Are you a Christian? Is your heart willing Willing to trust God. So I want to just leave this with you. Why would you not trust God? The word you and I would use is, I'm afraid, I'm fearful. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work out. Then that's not trusting God. If we trust him, we'll rely upon him. God can do anything with a willing heart. You see, why are you saying this? Because you know what? We're all the same. We go like this. We see people. Look, I'll be honest with you. Uh, You guys all know Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie can open his mouth and people get saved. I'm sure he can go into a store and buy buy a carton of milk and lead three people to Christ. And when you hear the Bible say that we all need to do the work of an evangelist, you and I exclude ourselves in an instant because we're not like that. You and I are very, very quick to generate excuses as to why we shouldn't embark upon this commanded thing. 
Like, for example, love one another. And we think, well, I know I should love one another, but I think my love's pretty pathetic, so I'll let somebody else love that other person. We're quick to exclude ourselves. Are you willing? Are you willing to lead someone to Christ? Are you willing to be a lover of others? Are you willing? Don't answer me. Are you willing? God knows. Are you willing? Then to trust him, you step out and obey him. Because Paul had every physical reason why to never show up. Ugly, short, ball-headed. We know from church history, remember, you guys already know this. He was very, very pathetic to look at. He was not a sight for sore eyes. It's somebody you wanted to completely avoid. His voice, we know from church history, was scratchy and hard to listen to. But he was mighty in writing. But man, when he showed up, they couldn't believe. Are you the guy that wrote the book? No, they can't be. (laughs) Well, it was. Willingness to trust God, meaning that God knows exactly why he called you. Are you not here right now? Are you not here on this Sunday? Can you not hear me? Are you not a Christian? Then all that being true, did God not know that he would have you as a believer in this moment of time? Then let's be bold. Let's be willing. And let's consider this. That we are not inferior to other Christians. God saved you. He wants to use you. It doesn't end when you leave these doors today. It just begins. You're only here right now for refueling. And then you go back out. There's very little that God requires of you and I. But this one thing God requires, and that is a willingness. Our willingness to obey and follow Jesus is what God's looking for. And I wrote a few things down. Mainly for me. But if they apply to you, then awesome. How about this? God doesn't look for my ability. God doesn't look for my personality. God doesn't look for my maturity. God doesn't look for any network skills or fill in the blank. God wants me to be willing to follow Jesus. And that now is available to all of us. And then he says that I am not inferior. The word here means that I am not less than... Because I don't appear to be like. See, those other people that had come to town, the great orators that were undermining Paul, they, had, they were great in stature. They, they were probably beautiful people to look at. They were great orators. We already know this. They were profound, professional speakers. They were awesome. And Paul says, listen, I'm not like that. But the message I preach, the message I give is not inferior. Listen, this is so cool, and I I run the risk of blowing it because it's so simple. Paul saw his identity in the quality of the gospel. If you think about that for a moment, your insecurities will begin to drift out of the window and blow away. Because we all have insecurities. If If I packed you all up right now and took you down to the shops and turned you loose and said, okay... Start sharing with people Jesus. You would instantly discover your insecurities. I'm not very, I'm not very good at speaking. I'm nervous. I'm what, a little, a little, all these excuses, right? But when you begin to see, hey, it ain't about me. It ain't me. My Bible says God the Holy Spirit empowers who he uses at his discretion to proclaim the word of God. So how do you want to feel big and strong? How do you want to be? Why am I talking? I'm trying to do my Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, it's... <laughs> do you want to be the evangelator? Uh, it's, listen, it's terrifying in the flesh, no doubt about it. But if you give the gospel, you'll see the power of God at work. Be willing. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Isn't that great? And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, blue bloods, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. That's the definition of the Christian. How do you feel about that? It's honest. 
all of a sudden we all qualify. There's no excuse as long as I'm willing and trusting in God. This is what the Christian life is all about. Isaiah, awesome. I love this. In fact, this was the first Sunday morning message I ever preached in my life was from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Isaiah 6, verse 8 says, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I, that is Isaiah, said, Here I am, send me. And God said, Go. He was willing. That's all. He was willing. And let's be willing to trust him. Secondly, look at verse 6. A willingness to give to God. To give to God. Every Christian is commanded to give to God. You say, I don't have any money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your life. Did you say wife? No, your life, not your wife. He wants your life. I'll give him my wife. No, he wants your life. Well, I'll I'll, I'll give this to Jesus. No, keep it. Unless you can put your life in that nickel or in that basket or in that effort, he doesn't want it. He wants your life. A willingness to give to God. He says, for even though I am untrained in speech, Oh, this is awesome. Yet, I am not in knowledge. Oh, this is great. Our willingness, listen, our willingness now, we know, Christian, listen. Our willingness is manifested every time you and I pray. Do you pray? Do you pray? Lord, have you ever said, Lord, I, Lord, I want, Lord, I need, Lord, help me. Dear Jesus. Willingness makes request of God. It's a healthy thing. It's a beautiful thing. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, says Paul to the Romans, to the Italians. For just as you presented your members, that is your body, as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. This is your B.C. days. You know your B.C. days before Christ days? Didn't you listen? You didn't hold back in your B.C. days. Don't, please don't raise your hand, but were you a drunk? Were you a womanizer? Were you a manizer? Were you a Budweiser? (laughs) What were you? Isn't it interesting how you were enslaved to that world and you not only were enslaved to it, you heaped up, up, up lawlessness upon lawlessness, slavery upon slavery to it. You invested yourself into that slavery. That's what he's saying. But look, look what he goes on to say. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You see, why would I do that? Because number one, listen, as a Christian today, you hear that and you go, that makes sense. I know what that means. Maybe you're not a Christian today and you go, why would I do that? There's no fun in that. How do you know there's no fun in that? Let me tell you something. You think you're free? Look, we all know in this room. We've all been there in this room, predominantly all. There's there's maybe one of you that doesn't know what I'm talking about right now. But most of us came out of the world. We weren't raised in Christian homes. And we did all the stuff of the world. Some of the stuff we did that was of the world was to fit in so we didn't feel like the odd man out. We even did stuff we didn't like. Just so people think we're cool. Well, so what's with that? Slavery. Slavery to what people think. Slavery to what the world wants. Slavery to passions. You didn't have the power to walk away from that pornography or from that bottle or from that line of cocaine or whatever. You didn't have the power. You were enslaved to it, were you not? It snapped its fingers and you jumped and you thought you were free. Now you become a Christian. Watch this. I'm saved. You're saved by the blood of Christ. I am free to live any kind of life I now choose. Did you know that? Free. I choose now to be a slave of Christ. Well, what kind of freedom is that? I am free from pornography, from cocaine, from the bottle, from... You hear me? The world no longer has power to tell me what it wants me to do. I am a slave to Jesus. And when you're a slave to Jesus, you are free. The world thinks we're in bondage. Oh, all you Christians, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, you know what it is? I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't have to. Or I like it better in the positive. I get to. I get to. I get to. It's a radical difference. I give my life to God. I give my body to God. I don't yield my members anymore over to the things of this world. It's a dead end. It's death. Thirdly, under this point, 
willingness to live before God. Get this under your belt. Take a deep breath. Church, I want to hear you breathe. Let's do that again. It feels good. Also sounds funny from up here. (laughs) To live for God. When do we live for God? All the time. Is there any place we're not supposed to be living for God? Everywhere. Listen to this. He says in verse 6, But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Simple translation. You Corinthians, you saw me, Paul, and my ministry team in every situation. You know what that means? It means that uh, the people of Corinth, they saw an opportunity when Paul was being attacked or things were going wrong. Let's say they set up the ministry outreach and it rained. People watched them to see if their patience wore thin. If somebody came up and threw a dead cat at Paul while he was preaching or rotten fruit, uh, he just took it. Did you ever see George Bush duck, duck that shoe? That's one of the great lines. That's one of the great presidential moves of all time. And then he smiles back at the guy. George Whitfield, people used to throw dead cats and dead rats at George Whitfield when he was preaching. And he would duck. Can you imagine? Preaching. <laughs> and he was encouraged by it. That's how much he lived before God. How awesome is that? You're an idiot. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? You're always living before God. Are you a Christian? Yep. Then listen, you ever live before God. And Paul is saying, everything we did in season and out of season. You guys, it was no secret to you. You saw us in every situation that could, we could have blown our witness and we didn't because we don't live before the Corinthians. We don't live before the Chinohillians. We live before God. Christian, live before God. Be fearless. Live before God. Second point today is this. Look at verses 7 through 11. Worship God with what you are. The Christian is dedicated. The Christian is willing and the Christian is dedicated. And what happens when we dedicate ourselves to God? Who can tell? I used to have a football coach from Texas. I don't know what this means. Maybe you do. But when something good would happen on the football field, he would yell, Katie, bar the door. Does anybody know what that means? I don't know what that means. It's a Texas thing. Katie, bar the door. Well, we don't know, but he was happy when he said it. And we must have been doing something right. And listen, when you dedicate yourself to God, it is open field. Who can tell what God wants to do with you, with us as a church? That joy, the hope of this breaks down, in my opinion, the individuality when it comes to ministry. Individuality is a wonderful thing. Independence, God give that, gives that to you. You have a personal savior. He, he, Listen, if you were the only child of Adam and Eve, after the fall, he would have come and died for you, for just you. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, really. I mean, I know I, can, I, know I just said that. And I know you heard it, but do we really believe that? I mean, come on, let's be honest. That's tough to believe, but yet it's pure theology. Did you know that? It's hard for me to believe that Jesus, if if Adam and Eve were my mom and dad, and they said, that's it, man, we're not having it anymore. (laughs) Jesus Christ would have come and died for the three of us. That's theologically perfect. Did you know that? Theologically perfect. That is the nature of God. But see, do you see yourself that valuable to God that he would come and die for you? You better. He said, oh, I don't understand it. I didn't ask you to understand it. I don't understand it. I'm asking you to believe him. I'm asking you to understand that for that commitment he made to you, we should naturally be dedicated to him. I was reading this weekend Nathaniel Hale. Does anybody remember him from history, Nathaniel Hale? If you haven't, if, you need to go revisit his life. Nathaniel Hale was a spy for the Continental Congress. Nathaniel Hale, Nathaniel Hale was a young man. He had a good friend, who, which was also a key spy for George Washington, Benjamin Talmadge. And Nathaniel Hale is the famous guy that when he got caught by the British... 
because King George had issued the decree, when you find someone dedicated to their cause, if he's a spy, no trial, no hearing, he dies on the spot. So they caught Nathaniel Hale, strung up the rope, and they said, any last words? Can you imagine? He's young too. I forget how young he was, but he was young. He said, yep. Oh, listen to this. Gives me goosebumps. Because I see this as how I, I ought to be as a Christian. Nathaniel Hale said, yep. And those famous words. I only regret that I have one life to give for my country. Can you imagine? Well, for that, we're going to hang you twice. <laughs> what a word. That was his last words. I only regret that I only have one life to give for my country. How much more? That the country that you and I have a passport to is eternal, forever, heaven. And that we would say, I am so dedicated to Jesus for all that he's done for me. I only have this regret that I only have one life to live in this world for him. But we can live like we have a thousand lives. I'm not going to let a cat have nine. I'm a Christian. I want to have an infinite amount of lives to be offered up for the Lord every day. We die daily, says the scriptures. Amen. We are to be a dedicated example. Verse 7. Did I commit? Listen how sad. This makes you sad. Watch what makes you cry. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Are you guys so bent out of shape and hate me because I didn't come to town in some big entourage? I was just an average run-of-the-mill guy so that serving you could exalt the church at Corinth. You guys hate me because I was a humble dude? Because I didn't have you kiss my ring? And walk around as some religious icon because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. They made fun of him because he preached the gospel and didn't take an offering. Today, that would be a welcomed event, would it not? Look what he says in verse 8. Here's, by the way, this is an awesome, awesome irony. We get the word irony. From this statement. He says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, he didn't didn't pull into town and say, hey, give me all your money. I'm going to send it to the Corinthians. What he was saying was other churches who gave him money for his hard work of preaching and teaching the people. Paul took that money. And instead of spending it on other church outreaches, you know what he did? He he spent it at the Corinthians. You say, how did he spend it at the Corinthians? at the churches in Corinth. He spent, he lived off of that support plus his own labor making tents. You know, he's a tent maker. So that the Corinthians would see a good witness and not attack him for taking money because when Paul came to town, all the false teachers were taking money. Listen, the orators, the false apostles, they would preach the gospel and then take an offering. And are you sitting down? Listen to this. It still happens today. They are going to attack Paul by saying, hey, Corinthians, we know he's a fake. Listen to this. Listen to the psychology of this. Are you listening? We know he's a fake because when he preaches, he doesn't take an offering. If he was of God like us, when we preach, we take an offering. Do you hear the justification? Do you hear the, do you hear the bamboozling? If he were of God, he would rip you off like we are. Pretty sneaky, huh? Does this not happen today? If you want to see God work, you send in your money. Paul says, I preached it free of charge so that you'd have nothing to say. What an amazing man of God. They attacked him for that. No, dedicated to be an example. An example, always an example. Dedicated to be a servant, verse 9. He says, and when I was present with you and in need, I was burdened uh, to no one. For what I lacked, if I had any needs, the brethren who came from Macedonia, they took care of it. Churches outside the region. Boy, I tell you what, if you're the Corinthian church, you ought to have some shame of face going on right there. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. So And so I will keep myself. Isn't that awesome? You hear that? I love that. Verses 10 through 11, listen to what he says here. He says, and so as the truth of Christ is in me. So here we see dedicated to be loving, to be loving. 
as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Greece, Achaia. Why, you say? Why? Because I don't love you? God knows. It's a sarcasm. It's beautiful. You don't think I love you? Is that what you think? God knows how much I do love you. Isn't that beautiful? So be loving. As a Christian, we are to be dedicated to being loving. Isn't it hard sometimes to be loving? It is hard. Admit it. It's hard. I got to tell you, if I lived in Greece, I would not go to the Corinthian church. Do you remember 1 Corinthians and then through 2 Corinthians? I wouldn't go to this church. This is a messed up church, man. Paul says, I love him. So how can you love him? I love him. He loved him with the heart of God. Dedicated to loving others. Who we are as Christians... is marked by how we love other people. The sad thing is today we love people with the love of Christ, but the world cannot detect real love when they see it. We reach out to love people. Sometimes that means telling people, you shouldn't be going down that path. Oh man, where's the love? You ever hear that? I hear that, as well. I hear that a lot. I don't know, call me crazy, but I don't think you should be sleeping with your neighbor. Oh dude, you're judging me. Where's the love, man? You hear what I'm saying? This is the age we live in today. Yikes. No, if you love somebody. Listen, it's true as a believer that wherever we go, we're to be that manifestation of the love of God. Those wannabes, these false apostles, they were not. Which leads us, by the way, to our final push, verses 12 to 15. Hang on to your seats. The Christian is ready. The third thing is that Christian, a Christian, the Christian is ready. You say, ready for what? Well, before I answer that, I want you to think about who you are for a moment. Listen, just listen. The Christian is ready because you have been forgiven by the Almighty God. You are ready because as a Christian, there is now therefore no condemnation over your head. What are you going to do with this stuff? You've been freed from the power of sin and death. What are you going to do with this this freedom? You have been made a new creation in Christ. So what are you going to do with all this newness? You have been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. What are you going to do with that? Your names have been written down in heaven, reserved, waiting for you to arrive. There's a seat in heaven with your name on it. Think of that. That's who you are. That's what you are. You are, I am, a sinner saved by the blood of Christ. (laughs) The great, wonderful pastor, Dr. Harry Ironside said, when we get to heaven, the door is going to say, all who will enter in. He said, I'm going to grab that door. I'm going to open the door and I'm going to walk in. And I'm going to go into that room and I'm going to see a banqueting table with all the saints of God sitting at it. And I'm going to turn back around. I'm going to look at that door that I walked through. And it's going to say, saved from the foundations of the world. The Bible says, God knew you before you were ever born. Say, Pastor, this is so encouraging. Good, because you're going to need it. Listen, Christian, be ready because you can be ready. You've been instructed to be ready. You're on call to be ready. Number one, ready to persevere. Ready to persevere. He says, but what I do, listen to him. Listen to the strength. I personally see hot tears running down his cheeks as he's writing this. But what I do, I will continue to do. Why? That I may cut off. The opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be, listen to this, regarded as they want to be. They're looky-loos. They're false believers. They want to be regarded just as we are regarded in the things which they boast. In other words, they're full of words, no action. They're false. 
Their lives are one thing on stage, completely different behind stage. Jesus said in John 8, 31, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in me, my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you or make you free. That is awesome. He says, what I do, I will continue to do. I'm going to persevere on in my calling. Church, listen, don't answer. But are you a Christian? Yes. Then move on with it. Go. Stay true. Be committed in these last days. Press on. You're going to know, you're going to need this in a moment. I'm going to shock you here in a moment. Actually, I'm not going to shock you. I'm just going to show you something that's all over the world right now. And I'm wondering if you know about it. Secondly, be ready to realize Ready. He says, verse 13, for such are false apostles. The word is pseudo. You ever heard that word before? Pseudo apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder. Wow. Listen to this. This is who their boss is. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. This is a direct frontal attack by the great apostle Paul against spiritual imposters. I want to give you this methodically and then come to an end. False apostles, pseudo apostles. The word means this. Mark it down. Pretenders. False teachers. Listen to this. The word means off course instructors. Yikes. They know that they're off course. They have somehow justified in their minds and they take their students And they lead them off a course that's even further off course than they're off course. They make them twice the child of hell than they are themselves. Paul says they're pseudo-apostles. Strong words, huh? Ladies and gentlemen, might I remind you, this is the apostle who wrote 1 Corinthians 13. You can find it in every Hallmark store in town. Love, remember? And this is love right now. Don't be confused. Are you guys with me? Is anyone out there? Are you, the, are you here today? Listen, this is love. This is love to tell people like it is. This is love to see to it that you're not led astray. Paul says, watch out. These are pseudo apostles who are off course and they're taking people off course in their wake. Watch out for them. Be ready and realize. Watch out. Deceitful workers, secretly subversive. The word means to gain or to deceive by trickery, to bait, to use, listen to this, this is eerie, this is sickening, to use the craft of personality or human persuasion to deceive or to make a false disciple. This is, that's called a click. To follow someone for their persuasive personality. We're suckers for that. I'm not saying you. I'm saying humanity. That's why Hollywood gets all the acclaim that it does. Amazing. Transforming themselves. Look at your Bible. Transforming themselves. By the way, we get the word metastasize. To self-appoint or to self-ordain. Someone or yourself to listen to transfigure or to disguise or to grant yourself a title to label yourself by your own doing self-appointed people to act of self-promotion with the intent to deceive transforming themselves. This is all attributes of Satan and those who follow Satan. Satan gives them those powers to deceive just like he does. Okay, listen. Are you guys, uh, I'm going to show you something. I need you to be awake. This is happening this weekend. I'm going to give you three slides. We'll start with the first one. This is happening now. Vatican, June 8th. Israel, Palestinian peace prayer. Shimon Perez, Mahmoud Abbas, and the Pope have gathered together to his house, he says, to build a bridge of peace between Israel and their enemies in the neighborhood. Listen, to those of you who don't know what the Bible says, that sounds good. To those of you who know what the Bible says, that's a wow thing today. That's a wow thing today. 
my Bible said that was going to happen. And I'm living today right now with that going on. Read the book of Revelation 17 and 18. Read Daniel chapter 2, 7 and 9. I'm so glad to be alive right now. This is awesome. Next slide. This weekend, Pope's very busy. Prayer a bus to attend Vatican prayer event. Just That's from a different source. Next, next one. This weekend, Islamic prayers to be held at the Vatican by Islamic imams. Why? Because the Pope invited an imam and Muslims to come and pray in the Vatican. Ladies and gentlemen, the Pope's been busy this weekend. We need peace between Israel and her neighbors. The book of Daniel says there's going to be a false religious leader that is going to organize a seven-year peace contract between Israel and their neighbors. Let's see how this goes. And when you call Muslims to pray together with, in this case, the Roman Catholic Church, I just, I don't know, call me silly, but can I ask you? Who y'all praying to? You need to help me out here. Who you praying to? Because I'm asking, watch. Now, some of you are going to write me a note. Just, just go ahead and write it. But if you don't sign it, I won't read it. If you don't sign it, I ain't going to read it. Every note I get, I look to see if I can respond to you before I ever read it. If I can't, I just go like this. So if you write it, write it, write. And put your name on it. Your name. Not, not a, I've, I've found those too. Make up names. <laughs> Vatican. Pope invites Muslims to come and pray in the Vatican. I don't know. Are you Catholic? Is the Vatican a big deal? Look, I'm a Christian and I went to the Vatican. Pretty big deal. Pretty awesome place. I didn't like it, but it was pretty amazing. But listen, are you a Catholic today? A lot of people who come here are Catholic people. Your Pope is hosting Islamic prayers this weekend in the Vatican. If you say that we all pray to the same God, that opens up a whole can of worms because it certainly isn't true. Islam has a completely different God than the Roman Catholics do. So when they go to pray... In the Vatican now this weekend, are prayers being offered up to various gods? I didn't make up those words. That's a fact. And if you sit here today and say, well, um, you know, as long as you're sincere, I guess that's okay. Tell that to God. I'm sure the prophets of Baal and the Astroths were very sincere. Pretty sincere when you offer up your firstborn child, don't you think? You better make sure you're a Christian. And following Jesus, not some man. By the way, was that the last slide? I think it was, right? Anybody? Yeah? yeah. That last slide came from a Muslim newspaper, a Muslim website. Interesting. Finally, we end here. Verse 15. The Christian is ready to finish. <laughs> Aren't you ready to finish after seeing that? Amen, Jesus. Let's go home. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Do you hear that? Deception. How many people are going to be saying, this is awesome. What's happening in Rome? Yep, well, Satan transforms himself and his ministers into angels of light or righteousness whose end will be according to their works. I want to ask you right now as we end in this. Close your Bibles. This is our conclusion. Christians, be praying right now, if you would. Just be. I want to ask you today. Are you somehow grieved by our uh, humbleness here to just go simply through the Bible word for word with not much pizzazz? Does it bother you that I'm not wearing a robe? 
Have we somehow offended you by by not putting on some amazing oratory show? Does it bother you that I would walk through the hallways or the courtyard or the parking lot and say hi to you? Is it wrong for me to say, how you doing? Do ministers of God do such things? Would you feel better if I had an office that was maybe on the second or the third floor, which we don't have, but maybe, maybe you'd feel better if I had a third floor office, kind of suspended in the atmosphere and that glows. <laughs> would that make you feel better? If that would make you feel better, you are bound and deceived by the trappings of religion. And you're no different than those who, have, who bamboozled the believers in Corinth called the false apostles. It's always been with us. It will be with us until Christ takes the church out. And there are people today that want to take your faith and mingle it with strange fire and a perverse offering. And it's happening today in the Vatican as I speak. You will choose to either follow Jesus or follow man. And I'm going to ask you today to make a decision to follow Jesus. Can you make that decision? Are you willing to make that decision? Let's pray together right now. And it's time for you to make that decision. You must choose. And I plead with you right now. The Bible says that today's the day of salvation. Now's the acceptable time. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, will you today, by raising your hand, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior alone. That you put your faith in Him. That you now will to be His disciple. No member of a church, no denominational persuasion, but letting the Holy Spirit based upon the Bible baptize you into the body of Christ as the Bible says. Do you believe that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave? If you do, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you want to accept Jesus Christ today, Jesus said it's being born again. Will you do that now? Will you raise your hand? I'll see your hand. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to want to meet you after service. That may be a downside, I understand, but forget about me. Raise your hand if you're accepting Christ today. Good, you can put your hands down. How many of you today are Christians and you've already accepted Christ? Raise your hands. Yes. Put your hands down. For those of you who raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, please. As we end in this song, or for that matter, maybe even during this song, how about if we remain seated right now? And when we're done singing, I'll I'll dismiss everybody. But if you raised your hands, will you be so bold to come forward and stand here with me. I want to meet you. Nobody else, just you. And I want to welcome you into the family of God. Will you allow that? Will you be that bold today? I pray you would be. So as we sing this song, if you raised your hand, come on up here. I won't, I'm not going to talk to you out loud and all that stuff. I won't embarrass you, I promise. But you stand for Jesus because Jesus hung on the cross for you.